welcome everybody uh, to this Clumberland Lodge podcast. Uh, today's topic is Climate Futures Youth Perspectives. My name is Jess Adams and I'm a second year scholar at Cumberland Lodge and I'm also a PhD student at the University of East London. So Cumberland Lodge is an educational charity that tackles social division through dialogue and debate and it is based in Windsor Great Park. At the moment, Cumberland Lodge is running a virtual conference, uh, which is about young people's perspectives on the future of our planet. It's bringing together young people from different schools, universities, organizations, and backgrounds. And these young people are collaborating with policymakers, with civil servants, with charity representatives, with activists, and with academics. Now, this is all taking place in advance of the 2021 pre-COP26 in Milan, which is essentially a warm-up party before the 2021 UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, which is called COP26. So I'm really excited to have two really exciting guests today, um, and the theme under discussion is Education for Sustainability. So a very warm welcome to Elizabeth Kitchenside, who is a Year 13 student from Woking College, and also to Professor Justin Dillon, who is a Professor of Science and Environmental Education at the University of Exeter. Very warm welcome both. And I'd really like to start if you could just both briefly introduce yourselves. Um, maybe if we start with you, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, so as, as you said, I'm a year 13 student. I'm studying sociology, philosophy and religious studies. Um, and aside from that, I, I volunteer a lot and I go to um, the Salvation Army. Um, and that is where my passion for climate change and environmental responsibilities comes from, seeing the, the impact that the environment can have on people um, and seeing the injustice that it can cause. Um, so a lot of my, my education has, has come from that and my passion has stemmed from that quite a lot. So working at grassroots level um, at my local Salvation Army to see what we can do in the community. Good, amazing. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And you, Justin? I did my uh, degree in chemistry in the 70s when the environment was becoming uh, a major focus of public concern and trained to be a, a science teacher after that. And I was teaching kids about the environment and about pollution uh, and uh, then got into um, research and teacher education and have spent a lot of time looking at environmental education, education for sustainability uh, in this country and uh, overseas. Amazing. Thank you so much, Justin. Okay, so my first uh, proper question is for you, Elizabeth. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about uh, two types of education that you've experienced in relation to the climate. Um, your sort of formal education that's taken place kind of in your school and your informal education, which has taken place outside of school. I think you've already touched on this a little bit in relation to learning um, about things related to the climate um, in your work at the Salvation Army. But it'd be great if you could just tell us a bit more about how those two experiences kind of compare. Yeah, um, so at school, um, the climate change was always um, a science topic or a geography topic, um, and they weren't necessarily massive areas of interest for me. Um, I found them quite abstract um, and hard to relate to my everyday life, um, and often that was how the, the lessons were portray portrayed. Um, they would stay in the classroom. Um, you'd write it in your textbook and you'd be done with that topic, that lesson. Um, and not very much more was said about it. Um, it wasn't until recent years where I'd see individual teachers who also had a passion for, for climate change and environmental issues who began talking at a more personal level 
um, about the impacts it would make. Um, and those are the real key key players for me in my formal education. It was individuals, you know, seeking for humanity's sake rather than just teaching sake to to share with us their, their own personal views. Um, so that really made a difference for me. But um, aside from that, like I said, it was very much in the classroom. Um, it wasn't necessarily a part of my holistic um, learning experience. Um, litter picking was a, it was a punishment for the kids who had been naughty in class. It wasn't something that the whole school would take part in as you know, a responsibility of humanity. Um, and I think sometimes that is how we can view environmental issues. It's, it's an opt-in or opt-out, isn't it? Um, very often it would be the gifted and talented would be invited to some amazing scientific um, fairs and events. But again, it was only certain selected individuals. Um, so it wasn't for everyone. Um, and I know it would vary from school to school. You'd have some schools who had loads of students who knew everything there was to know, but there was other schools who were just there for a day off. Um, but so it was quite selective um, and very much sort of case by case with each school. Um, so that I don't think there's a coherency in, in schools in general as to, as to what we learn as human beings in our holistic experience. It very much varies depending on, on the school that you go to, the postcode, the, the type of school um, and what facilities they have. Um, so that is my formal education, um, quite disconnected. Um, great factual knowledge, don't get me wrong, very much in depth um, and it got me my GCSEs, but, um, but it wasn't necessarily related to my day-to-day -day living and what I could do as, as a human um, where I am now. Um, but compared to my informal education, where I could kind of pick and choose and pick up and put down what I found interesting and what I didn't find so interesting, um, and with the wealth of knowledge available with social media um, and all of the um, ap applications that we can, we can use, books and YouTube, um, you can find just about anything um, if, with a few clicks. Um, and that's how I found the, the climate conference here. Um, a friend um, just sent me the link and said, why don't you come along? Um, and I did. Um, and so I've learned a lot from this conference so far. Um, but it's been because I've been passionate about it and because I've wanted to learn about it. That is how I've gained that informal education. Um, a lot of it's been from peers, from other young people who are on that same journey, just journeying together and seeing what we can find out um, and sharing that knowledge with each other. Um, networking and making connections with people um, to, to sort of bring that holistic knowledge that, that different key people can, can give. Um, so a lot of it's free, a lot of it's out there for, for us to just pick and grab, which is amazing. Um, and which is why it's so accessible for, for a lot of young people nowadays. Um, but I think it's about bringing that accessibility into the education system so that everyone has that chance whilst you're in school when not everyone will have the chance when you're not in school because other people have other things to focus on and other passions um, so that everyone, whether you're in formal education or informal education, has access to, to those same resources and that same style of knowledge, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you've touched on some really important themes that maybe we could come back to around sort of relating things to kind of real world experiences and holistic education and like loads of stuff. Also massive props on getting your GCSEs. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, 
Um, so on to you, Justin, and this maybe actually relates to some of the things that Elizabeth is talking about, but I guess um, thinking about um, how environmental education has changed in your lifetime. So as you said at the start, you know, you started in the 1970s when it was becoming increasingly important. Obviously, a lot has happened since then. Um, do you think that the school curricula today reflects the urgency of the climate crisis as it stands today? Um, no, it, it clearly doesn't. Um, the word, the term environmental education was first coined a few miles from um, where I was born. Um, I was, it was coined in 1948. I was born about nine years later. So it's a pretty new term. Um, I mean, when I was at school, there was um, no mention, I don't think, of environmental education. We just did the, the, you know, the normal school subjects, a bit like um, you know, the ones that Elizabeth you know, did when she was at school. Things haven't changed a great deal. Um, and it remained fairly dormant for a while. It was, it was there in the background. And when I was teaching, I think I was aware of there was something called environmental education <laughs> that wasn't really a school subject. Um, but obviously, people were were, were dissatisfied, uh, you know, even then, with the with the curriculum as, as they are now. And you know, as as people were aware of the, the um, growing um, problem pressures on the environment and environmental pollution, and the um, the lack of the curriculum to address those issues, then uh, environmental education began to sort of raise its head. Uh, above the parapet, I think, and in, in the, when the national curriculum came in, in 1988 and 89, uh, environmental education was given the status of a cross-curricular theme because clearly it is cross-curricular, and so you know, <laughs> it, 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 there is an argument that it, it should be a separate subject, and that's, not, that's generally not going to happen. It happens in some countries, but not others. Um, so it's um, you know, it's the model for many countries is to infuse it across different curriculums, and that's often very weak. It's a weak infusion. And it doesn't really work because it's not the responsibility of any department or any teacher, and so it's there, but often without being labelled as such. And that you know that's um, and then of course we've got education for sustainable development or education for sustainable and I say sustainability and that's a different thing as well. <laughs> um, and again, that's that's even newer and uh, you know, rarely is taught as a separate a separate subject. So while clearly people can see that you know, people need to be educated about the environment and educated about sustainability, when you look at the curriculum, what you're looking at is something which has its roots a long, long way back. And like a you know, massive ship, it's hard to turn that curriculum uh, tanker around. Um, and it's hard for people to give up space and say, right, okay, well, we're going to have more environment and more on sustainability and less on you know, the traditional school subjects. And that's where we are today. We're in a situation where you know, people are frustrated. You, you, you look around you as a, a young person, and you, um, I imagine, uh, and you see yourselves, you know, all these things happening in the world. And then you look at what you're taught in school and you see a missile. That, that's how people have felt for a long time, um, believe me. But um, you can see why people are angry and people are frustrated. Um, and I think now is a very good moment to say things have to change. Amazing. Thank you, Justin. Um, I think it actually leads quite nicely onto the next question I wanted to ask you about, um, particularly your point around giving up space. 
Um, so I wanted to ask you both this question um, and we're going to go to a slightly hypothetical scenario now um, and we're going to pretend that you've both got an hour um, to spend talking to Gavin Williamson who just in case anyone listening doesn't know is our current education secretary um, and at the end of the meeting Gavin Williamson is going to make your promise um, and unlike some politicians he's absolutely going to follow through on that promise um, in relation to um, you know a change that he can make to the education system in relation to sustainability in the UK. So, Elizabeth, what would you tell Gavin and what would he promise you to do? Um, oh, I could ask so much. Um, but uh, I think for, for schools to be uh, net zero um, and carbon neutral um, and for us to have a set date for that for schools to work towards would be incredible um, so that students could come into a learning environment and be proud of it um, and to take ownership of that environment um, so they're not just there for, for the classrooms, they're there for the entire experience, um, knowing that, that their school is having a positive impact on the world because it's not contributing to climate change and it's giving them this wealth of knowledge to, to take out into the world and to change it with. Um, and I think by, by making the whole environment a place of sustainability, children slowly make those changes and implement those changes into their everyday living. So if they had, you know, plant-based carbon neutral food on, on the school menus, then children from low-income families who don't necessarily think that they can have a big, big impact on the world can have an impact. They can say, yeah, I've, I've eaten the right food today. I've got an electric bus today to school um, and I've had an impact because I think there, there's often a divide, isn't there, um, in what people think they can do because of where they come from. But if students all go to school knowing that they can have a positive contribution to the world um, then they will want to have a positive contribution to the world um, so I think that's what I'd ask him um, I think there's many different ways that we can do that and ways that we can be really innovative to to make schools carbon neutral um, and to give children that holistic experience to to take from education into their everyday living um, and I think that's that's the way it's going to happen is if children can can take what they learn and take it away with them and do something with it rather than just keeping it at school in their textbooks. Cool. What a wicked answer, Elizabeth. Um, I think I, the only thing I would maybe add to that is that it's it's not just about background. I think generally speaking, you know, finding ways for people to feel empowered is yeah. really difficult. So, yeah, I think you've touched on a really um, great solution. And I'm looking forward to seeing Gavin um, <laughs> pull it off. <laughs> All right, over to you, Justin. Yeah, well, you said current education secretary. I mean, we're due for a reshuffle of the um, um, cabinet fairly soon. So let's just who say whoever it is that is the current education secretary, and whoever it is, I would. Um, I, I, would sort of, I, I mean, Elizabeth's point is um, it's, it's related to, I mean, to what Elizabeth said. I think it's it's we need to to have a, a, a big debate. Um, about what the what the purpose and the value of education is, but be, uh, and because clearly education isn't is failing in many ways, and it isn't doing preparing people for the to, you know, the world they live in and the world of the future. Um, but it, and also we need to go beyond that and talk about as Elizabeth was you know, suggesting, what what are the, what is the role of schools in society? Are schools there simply just as a, to prepare people, you know, to just replicate what we have in the past and pass on those traditions? Or are schools meant to be transformative um, uh, uh, edifices where you go and schools themselves 
um, take part in transforming society to be, to be a better place, not just by you know, uh, giving people an education, which is transformative, and, and helping people you know, construct knowledge and, and challenge some of the, you know, the existing orthodoxies if they need to be challenged. But schools need to, to play a, ro- a broader role in society in terms of creating a, um, a model of how sustainable communities can run. Schools themselves are communities, um, you know, small, small villages, small towns in some ways. Um, and so they, they need to be, to be run in that way with a view to be a, a model for how a, a sustainable organisation might function. Um, and uh, that is quite a big ask. Uh, encouraging a you know, secretary of state to, to take that on board uh, is is um, going to be very challenging. But unless we do that, we just get, we're just doomed to replicate the mistakes of the past. Oh, thank you so much, Justin. Um, I really like. Yeah, that I, re- I think if you do decide to hold this big debate around the future of schools and what their purpose is, I would love to be there. I'm sure Elizabeth, you might too. <laughs> um, amazing. So thank you so much, Justin and Elizabeth. Um, for anyone listening today to this podcast, you can find out more about the Climate Futures Youth Perspectives Project um, on the Cumberland Lodge website, which is cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. Um, I'd encourage you to keep an eye on the read, watch and listen page for blog posts written by Cumberland scholars um, and other podcasts. Uh, and later this year, um, in relation to this conference, there'll be a final report. Um, and this will sum up the key takeaways and reflections from the conference ahead of COP26. So massive thanks again, Justin and Elizabeth. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.